Hi, this is Deanna. And this is Michelle. And this is Historable. So, Michelle. So, Deanna. Welcome back to another episode of Historable. Another glorious week of Historable. We're here. We are here. And it is a Deanna episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, My favorite kind of episode. Yeah. No um, no jet planes this week. Yeah. So, I know it. we didn't hear one in last week's episode, but we but don't have to worry about it this week. My cat sure heard them last week. Yeah. I do feel bad for all the... Poor little animals. Yeah. My dog didn't care. He, oh, yeah. He did not He care. watched. He just yeah. watched, actually, out on the, the patio. He sat outside with us and just watched the planes and That's relaxed. Nice. And really enjoyed the air show. That's nice. Yeah. Anywho, I don't think we have any affairs to get into order. I think our affairs are ordered. No. Yeah, I think we're good. All right. Let's get into it. What are we learning about today? I am going to talk about the life and adventures of Elizabeth Jane Cochran, also known as Nellie Bly. Nellie was known as kind of a a female pioneer in investigative journalism. So two of her major highlights, which we'll talk about in today's episode, are that she did this expose in 1887 on the conditions of um, an insane asylum at Blackwell's Island in New York City. I'm sure that was a hoot. (laughs) It was interesting for sure. And she also... Uh, did a 72-day trip around the world, which I'll talk about a little bit too, but very adventurous gal. Wow, yeah. she's definitely has scattered interests, which I can relate. <laughs> yeah. So just to get started, we'll talk a little bit about her early life, talk about her origin story. Okay. So she was born Elizabeth Jane Cochran, and that was on May 5th, 1864. And she was born in Cochran's Mill, Pennsylvania. The town was founded by her father, Michael Cochran. I was going to say, I'm like, isn't her last name Cochran? It is. <laughs> Do they like own the town? Fun fact, he owned a lucrative mill. So hence, Cochran's Mill, Pennsylvania. Very creative back then. <laughs> Super creative, yes. Um, also, he was, I guess, like a judge in the county. So it was very well involved in the scene okay. of Cochran's Mill. Unfortunately, um, at the age of six, her father did die suddenly and he did not have a will oh that's confusing did he die in the mill i don't know how he died i I think it was something medical i don't know if it was at the mill yikes but not having a will is dangerous when you there's so much at stake i guess Yeah. yeah so unfortunately um you know the family really had no legal claim at this point to the land So they kind of had to leave. That's terrible. I know. I hate that for them. I know. Lesson here, always get a will in place. Always write a will. Especially if you have a family. Do you know when I was really little, when I took my first plane ride? Oh, I don't think I was really, I think I was like 12. And I was terrified of planes. And I wrote a will and snuck it under my pillowcase because I thought I was going to die in a plane crash. I'm sorry. I've never heard, I'm actually... (laughs) Not shocked, uh, but I've actually never heard this story before. Yeah. <laughs> and I know most of your stories. Yeah. And you've heard them several times. But yeah, I've always thrown new ones at you. Yeah, I don't know. I was a weird little kid. You're very serious back then. 
But you you did the right thing because in this Hope case, was right well, you never know what's going to happen. In this case, unfortunately, Michael's you know wife and children, and he actually I think technically her mother was like his second marriage, so he had some kids and other things, but like. No one really was had a legal claim to anything because he didn't have a will in place. That's so irresponsible, especially being a husband and having children. Rude. Yeah, rude. Anyway, so the family left. They they didn't really have anything, you know, left there. At the age of 15, Elizabeth enrolled in the state normal school in Indiana, Pennsylvania, which kept throwing me off just as a name. The of, word normal? No. Oh. Indiana, Pennsylvania. The city was called Indiana. Those are both state names. That's weird. So I was like, oh, is she from the Midwest? And I'm like, oh, no, she was from Indiana, Pennsylvania. That's weird. So anyway, <laughs> she went there um, in hopes of becoming a teacher. So she started studying. Unfortunately, after one term there, financially, the family just couldn't afford it. So she had to leave. Mm. She left school and went to go move in with her mother. At that point in time, her mother was kind of in like an outskirt area of Pittsburgh. Okay. And I guess she ran a boarding house there. So Elizabeth went there to help out. Elizabeth also had two older brothers, which I think actually were also from, if I remember correctly, her her mother, this was like also her second marriage. So I think they were half brothers, irrelevant completely to the story, but something I remember reading. Got it. Okay. So her two older brothers were there in the Pittsburgh area. Um, and so right when she got there, Elizabeth was looking for work, right? helping to support the family. What was really frustrating to her was she was finding way fewer opportunities than her less educated older brothers. Like she actually went to school. I mean, she only went for a term, but she studied. She was passionate about education and she was really smart. But unfortunately, since she was female, there were fewer opportunities for her. I would imagine like what? Cleaning clothes, cleaning homes, taking care of other people's children. That's about it. I think what I love about her story is she really kind of took this and it kind of fueled her fire oh yeah she was like you tell me no i'm gonna prove you wrong so one day our girl elizabeth is hanging out reading the the local newspaper which was the pittsburgh dispatch the the cochran times the cochran times right (laughs) (laughs) so she came across an editorial piece that had been published called what girls are good for Oh, geez. And in the piece, the writer Aramis Wilson claimed that women were best served by conducting domestic duties and calling the working woman a monstrosity. Cringe. So apparently Elizabeth was like, mm and submitted what was called a racy response to the piece. And like she summoned the fire of everything. She did a whole rebuttal. And it was so well written and just so unique that it grabbed the attention of uh, the paper's managing editor, George Madden, who actually went around and he in turn offered her a position at the Pittsburgh Dispatch. Oh, that's that's hard to say. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Go her. So in 1885, Elizabeth began working as a reporter for the Pittsburgh Dispatch at a rate of $5 per week. How very Erin Brockovich of her. I love that. Yeah. And so it was at, once she started this gig, she started using the the pen name Nellie Bly, which is what I will refer to her as for the rest of the episode. Mm -hmm. Um, She borrowed it, I guess, from a popular Stephen Foster song. Don't know who he is, but apparently it was a really popular song at the time. So Nellie Bly, she became. I definitely feel like I've heard the name Nellie Bly before. I just don't know in what context. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, my brain's going to Gilmore Girls because Gilmore Girls... 
has like a million and one different references. <laughs> I guarantee you they have referenced her at some point. Yeah. I would be shocked if they haven't. I feel like every time I rewatch Gilmore Girls, there's another reference that like I've picked up and learned something new. And then I'm like, I've seen this episode no fewer than at least 25 times. I'm like, but now, years later, I finally get that that reference. So I'm going to have to rewatch it to find the Nellie Bly reference because I'm sure there is one. There has to be one. I would be, like I said, shocked if there wasn't. For sure. So she's got her pen name. She's Nellie Bly now. She's, you know, living her best life at the newspaper. And really, her goal was to highlight negative consequences of sexist ideologies and the importance of women's rights issues, right? So this is, I mean, 1885. So definitely uh, we've come a long way since then, but she really was kind of a a pioneer, as it were, even just writing about that topic. For that time, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And most of the time back then, any sort of women's contribution to a newspaper was usually on the women's pages. So I guess there was like... Ask Alice. Yeah. yeah, like it was very like domestic you know whatever. how do I get tomato sauce out of my my husband's t-shirt so for whatever reason which I think you know her all the props to the managing editor he really saw like how smart she was how driven she was and she was given a rare opportunity to report on wider issues she wasn't limited to the women's pages so she was able to write articles about uh, working girls in Pittsburgh slum life other like similar topics, um, I guess she really became renowned for her investigative and like undercover reporting. She posed as a sweatshop worker to expose poor conditions uh, faced by women at the time. And I, she was just like doing it, that's, which is awesome. That's so awesome. And what like an amazing opportunity for her to get in that time in that era. Yeah. And she it, really just went at it. And it's unclear exactly what happened. However... It appears that her work started becoming increasingly limited at the Pittsburgh Dispatch, and her editors actually moved her to the women's page. And so she kind of aspired to find a more meaningful career. I tried to do a ton of research to figure out exactly what happened, but there's, it's really hard to tell. Yeah, I'm sure they probably got like either like letters of concern or something like that, or maybe people were getting like negative feedback because the letter was written by a woman's opinion. I did see one article that vaguely referenced some sort of like advertising pool. So maybe there was a business that threatened. I don't know. But it's it's very murky in history. You have a woman reporter. We will not be funding your newspaper anymore. But what does our girl do? She apparently takes on a foreign correspondent role and travels for several months through Mexico. Cool. She sends back reports on official corruption, conditions of the poor that lived there. Um, and actually, her articles were pretty critical and like honest to the point where she angered Mexican officials and they expelled her from the... Co- expelled her? Is that the right word? She... Expelled her? Expelled her from the country. She got kicked out of Mexico because she was reporting the truth on the ground. Deported. There we go. I think all of, yeah. All of the above. Yeah, deported. They were like, you gotta go. She upset the wrong people. I guess, goodbye. So she left Mexico. um, And actually, later on, the articles were collected in a book called Six Months in Mexico that came out in 1888. So she... that sounds like a very like modern book title. I feel like, <laughs> right? I don't know why. But so she gets back and she's like, "What am I gonna do?" And where does she head? 
to the Big Apple, New York City. I was going to say, like, to New York, because that's where dreams come true. Yep, she (laughs) totally did. (laughs) So, and Chicago's really cool, too. She got to go to Chicago. (laughs) Yeah, she never came. Well, I think she came here to report later on in her career, but she never lived here. Got it. Anyway. Anyway. So, in 18, sorry, 19, yeah, 18. 87, typo, Bly moved to New York City and began working for Joseph Pulitzer's New York World magazine. Okay. So the story goes that she moved to New York and she just kind of busts in the editor's office and like demanded to write for them. Pulitzer was like, okay, so if you want to work here, you're going to need to do an investigative piece on the infamous mental institution on Blackwell's Island, which is now known as Roosevelt Island in New York City. The editor was like, go undercover, figure out how to report on this insane asylum and really gave her no guidance on how to like get in or get out. So, so she pretends to be crazy. Yep. Uh, she was like, challenge accepted. And with no way out, that's so risky. I know. Because once you're in, I mean, all those people are really good at saying that they're no longer crazy. That's part of sometimes being crazy. Oh, man. This was also oh. back in 1887 where, I mean, you could be put away for anything because you were a woman for for yeah having menstrual cramps and pms and all of that stuff you know what it is i think the ghost adventures did an episode on this island i bet they did okay the ghost adventures is a good show i need to watch it (laughs) it just makes me laugh because their reactions are like over the top comical i love it that's how i feel about the um the chasing bigfoot shows all of those shows love them looking for bigfoot i remember watching with my family and my sister was like what is this? They're never going to find Bigfoot. I'm like, well, if they did, we would already have heard about it. We wouldn't see it on the show. But I love the Bigfoot shows. They had one too, uh, Finding Hitler. And it was supposed to be like, what, Hitler didn't actually commit suicide. He actually escaped from the bunker. And here's where they think he went. And it was like all these sides. And I'm like, there's all these kind of shows that take like one little grain and make it like a three episode arc. And I'm like, ugh. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check out this one though. Because now that I know more about the island. Yeah, I'll have to confirm later on and make sure that it's Ghost Adventures episode. But I'm pretty sure they they went to Roosevelt Island. Awesome. And probably hung out with all the ghosts that were friends with Nellie Bly. Let's talk about it. <laughs> probably. So now we're in September 1887. And like Nellie threw herself into the role of a deranged woman in the attempt to like get committed. So she practiced looking disturbed in front of a mirror. Uh, apparently she also checked herself into a working class boarding house and was hoping to get herself kicked out by freaking them all out. So she like... Uh-huh went in and practiced her deranged skills. So she's like, if I can freak them out, I can freak out the professionals. Yep. At this time, used the name Nellie Brown and pretended that she was from Cuba and ranted that she was searching for missing trunks. So that was her, that was her shtick. She was looking for missing trunks. Okay. And it worked. And the police were called. And she went to court. Um, so she had a hearing at court and the judge ordered her to... Blackwell's Island, so mission accomplished. She made it she's to like, the island. She's like, wow, this is so easy. What was that other one? Oh, Shutter Island. Yeah. That's a good movie. Yeah. That's your media rec for the episode, guys. So our girl Nellie gets into the asylum. Mission accomplished. By her accounts, the conditions at the the asylum were horrible Mm -hmm. which let's be real i mean i don't find that entirely shocking for the time at all 
Yeah. Not None of this was shocking to me, and it was just kind of sad. I wouldn't assume that there was a lot of resources dedicated to this cause, that, that jobs there were very high-paying. Yeah, I just probably completely a mess. Yeah. So from her reporting, I mean, the food was essentially inedible, sometimes spoiled. She reported finding a spider on a slice of bread that was spread with like rancid butter. The building was freezing. Uh, She was forced to take an ice cold bath in dirty water. And they had like 45 patients sharing two coarse towels. She's quoted um, in one of her articles by saying, my teeth chattered and my limbs were goose fleshed and blue with cold. Suddenly I got one after the other, three buckets of water over my head. Ice cold water, too, into my eyes, my ears, my nose, and my mouth. I think I experienced the sensation of a drowning person as they dragged me, gasping, shivering, and quaking from the tub. For once, I did look insane, which is really sad. That's terrible. I know. I guess the best way to refer to them as inmates. They were given, you know, these, like, really thin, awful dresses, poorly fitted undergarments, They also weren't really allowed to, like, talk much or really do much. They just kind of were supposed to sit there. However, our girl Nellie made it a point to try to talk to as many women as she could while she was there. For sure. That was the whole point of her being there, Mm -hmm. yeah. So there were, as I mentioned, I mean, there were a million reasons why people were placed in these institutions back in the day, and there were many sane women that were there. So she found... You know, amongst the sane ones who probably shouldn't have been there, a lot of them were immigrants who didn't understand English, and they might have been mistakenly committed to the island. Oh, jeez. Others that she spoke with were just poor, and so they thought that they were going to a poorhouse, not the insane asylum, Um, but they were wrong. So I think the island had, if I remember correctly, a couple different facilities all within it Mm -hmm. so some of these women just thought they were going to the poorhouse part of the island but they ended up in the insane asylum wow all of them that she spoke with i mean they had stories of just i mean horrible stories neglect violence cruelty um definitely think we can do an episode on conditions in these types of facilities in general at that time in the future but to not go down a rabbit hole like needless to say it was awful it was just terrible for people understandably subhuman experiences yeah yeah so really really sad so 10 days after she entered the asylum there were lawyers from the new york world which was the paper she was working at arranged for her release and so she was like eager and ready to get out and write about what she experienced what she had seen she did feel bad obviously leaving the poor women there that were stuck there but she was really ready to like expose what happened for sure and at least like the newspaper like had her back and was going to get her out because she can't just be like jk i'm a news reporter uh i'm actually completely sane they're gonna be like no you're crazy you're staying in for life yeah (laughs) luckily the lawyers were able to get her out and she only spent 10 days there but i mean that's still that's a a long long time. time yeah two days later after getting out on october 9th 1887 The New York World printed the first part of Nellie Bly's two-part illustrated series on the front page of the Sunday feature section. Wow. So it was a really big deal. And understandably, the public was shocked at what they read, right? They had no idea this was going on. And also, 
for context, she was 23 at this time. Mm -hmm. So she was this like 23-year-old undercover cop exposing these horrible conditions. Yeah. So it's like crazy. Yeah. So people were understandably shocked. And I think some also interesting context, which I didn't realize about this time, but I think is important to the story. In the 1880s and 1890s, there was a big increase in mass circulation of yellow journalism papers and what's also referred to as the stunt girl movement. Have you heard of yellow journalism at all? I didn't know what it was. I had to look it up. No, yeah, I don't know what it is. So it's definitely journalism with like sensationalist spin, right? So a lot of... So tabloids. Kind of. Yeah, it was like... (laughs) Tabloids of the 1800s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there was a very big rise in this type of journalism. So obviously you always have to take it with a little grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I didn't realize that that was like a thing. But yeah, it was the the rise of the modern day tabloid. I at feel this point. like I'm acutely aware of some sort of like the society pages or the society section. And I knew those were always kind of like salacious and maybe like a little bit exaggerative, but um, is exaggerative a word? That sounds right. I don't know why I just came up with that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, but yeah, I've never heard of that. That's cool. That's interesting to know. Yeah. Yep. There's a little vocab word for you for today. Yellow journalism. Not exaggerative. So understandably, I mean, her piece was a success. Um, Eventually, it generated a book on the topic. And the silver lining to all this, which really just makes me super happy, her articles and the things that she did, um, did cause a large scale investigation of the institution itself. Good, as it should. So she actually assisted the New York assistant district attorney, his name was Vernon M. Davis, with the investigation. Uh, So she went back to the island. I guess one thing I read said that by this point, they had like cleaned up a little bit. Some of the people who she had spoken with were magically no longer there. So like, I, who is to say? But I think they saw this article freaked out and cleaned house a little bit before the district attorney came back. But there is good news. After the investigation was over, the government did increase funding to take care of the mentally ill patients. That's awesome. They added more physicians just for general care and supervision. They also instituted regulations to prevent overcrowding in the facilities. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of good that came out of what she did, which just makes me really happy. I'm glad there was something good that came from it and it wasn't a waste of time. For sure. Regardless of maybe if it was sensationalized, maybe it wasn't, but good things came. I think it definitely hit both marks there where it was like, it was definitely a piece that was meant or that definitely sparked the public's interest because it was so salacious, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. But then also did good things. So they equal each other out. Yeah. And following this success, I mean, she continued to write expose pieces on New York issues such as, you know, government corruption. She apparently even did a piece on the black market for buying babies. Oh. Apparently that was a thing back then. I think that still is a thing. <sighs> I can't. Yeah. But audiences really, she was very well received. People loved her perspective. They loved her voice. She was very well respected. That's good. So here's the other kind of cool highlight um, that a lot of people consider the other high point of her career. So do you remember the book Around the World in 80 Days by Jules Verne? I don't think I've ever read it, but I definitely have heard about it referenced like in, in pop culture before. Yeah. TLDR, this dude goes around the world in 80 days. Mm-hmm. That was it. 
So and Nellie Bly's like, bet I'm going to do it quicker. Mm-hmm. So she decided she was going to try and beat the record of 80 days, which is funny because I think technically it was fiction. I'm not sure how based it was in fact. But anyway, mm-hmm. she was going to beat it, go around the world in less than 80 days. So she was still at the same paper. So the world kind of built up, built up the story. And they even sponsored a guessing contest where people could guess how long it would take her to go around the world. Like when you guess how many jelly beans are in a jar. Yep. Cool. The winner, instead of a giant jar of jelly beans, would get a trip to Europe. Fun. So the reports state that there were nearly 1 million entries. Yeah. I mean, that's going to get some response for sure. For sure. So our girl Nellie on November 14th, 1889, set off on her adventure literally around the world. Where did she start from? New York? Yep. Cool. So she rode on ships and trains. She like went on rickshaws, horses, burrows. Like she did the whole thing. Yeah. On the final lap of her journey, uh, the New York world transported her from San Francisco to New York by special train. And I guess along this piece, she was greeted everywhere by bands and fireworks. And people were like, oh my gosh, there she is. And she had really warm welcoming in this last little phase of going around the world. That's so fun. So do you want to take a guess at how long it took her to go around the world? You do not win a trip to Europe. (laughs) 79 days. Oh, close. So her total time was 72 days, 6 hours, 11 minutes, and 14 seconds. Wow. So this stunt, I mean, this like grabbed the attention of everybody in the whole world. Um, It made her even more famous, and she published a book as well based upon this. Around the world in 72 days. Sadly, she only held the record for a few months. I guess it was broken by a businessman named George Francis Train, who completed the journey in 67 days. That's rude. I know. Rude. Like, she only got it for a couple months. But, I mean, she was the first one to do it. So she, like, she she was the trendsetter. For a lifetime. And she got to travel around the world in her 20s. Yeah. So, I mean... Yeah, Yeah. there you go. (laughs) Following this adventure, I mean, she continued to remain very influential in journalism. She did more exposés, more undercover work, uh, covered political pieces, and did interviews with prominent individuals such as Emma Goldman and Susan B. Anthony. Oh, cool. So she was was talking to people, which is really cool. Very high profile. All right, so now we're in 1885. At the age of 30, Nellie marries a millionaire named Robert Seaman. Um, he was... <laughs> Stop I'm sorry. I'm a child. <laughs> so Robert was 40 years her senior and... Oh, 40. Oh, he was 70. Yeah, he was he was a, an elder. Okay. Oh, but he was a millionaire. He was a millionaire. So give it a couple years. So once she got married, she was legally known as Elizabeth Jane Cochran Seaman. <laughs> okay. Play on. <laughs> Also around this time, uh, this is actually when she did retire from journalism for a little bit. Might as well. Oh, well, here's what she does next. Listen to this. So, I mean, by all accounts, the couples did enjoy a very happy marriage. They loved each other. Things were good. There was nothing to indicate that. I'm sure she had one million reasons to love him. Right. (laughs) 
And no, her- I don't want to sell her short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our girl knows what she wanted and she went for it. Yeah, she literally has seen the entire world. <laughs> so sadly, her husband did pass away in 1904. But guess what our girl does? She takes over his company, which is the Ironclad Manufacturing Company. So during her time there, she began manufacturing the first practical 55-gallon steel oil drum, which evolved into the standard one we use today. She went on to patent several inventions related to oil manufacturing, many of which are still used today. Hmm. Also, while in charge, she really, as you can imagine, was very into social reform and people and giving them their best life. So she put a lot of these ideas into action and the employees enjoyed several perks that were unheard of at the time. So fitness gyms, libraries, healthcare, they got all of it from our girl. That's amazing. I know. Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, There's always an unfortunately at the end of our episodes. <laughs> I know. Nellie did not manage the finances well. Um, and unfortunately, once again, I also have to keep saying unfortunately, she fell victim to fraud by employees. And long story short, uh, they had to declare bankruptcy. So she was at a point in her life where she was faced with not great finances. Obviously, her husband had passed away, but her inheritance was also kind of gone. Mm-hmm. So she went back to what she knew best journalism. There you go. (laughs) So she began working for the New York Evening Journal in 1920. Uh, She reported on numerous events, including the growing women's suffrage movement. And also, apparently, she covered some stories on World War I from Europe. Oh, I was going to say, I'm like, yeah, creeping up into that time. Yep. So she was involved in some of those early stories there. Cool. Maybe we can find some cool stories about her when we get to World War One. Yes. Which may or may not be soon. Spoiler alert. Ish. It's coming. Oh, there's a lot of it coming. Sadly, two years after reviving her writing career on January 27th, 1922, Bly died from pneumonia in New York City. She was 57 years old at the time. She was buried in the Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx. Um, so I think that cemetery is technically a historical site at this point. I was going to say, I'm like, I definitely feel like I've heard of this cemetery before. I don't know. Maybe someone else, a prominent name is buried there as well. I'm not sure, but yeah. And what's really cool. Um, so if you're ever in New York, uh, in 2021, her connection with Roosevelt Island, where let's be real, that's kind of where this all began, Mm -hmm. um, is forever immortalized. So there's a new monument that was placed in her honor I think originally they were planning on 2020, and then obviously it didn't happen until 2021. Sure. Um, so this monument came up. It's right on the tip of Lighthouse Park on Roosevelt Island. There is a statue. It's called the Girl Puzzle, mm-hmm. which was named after her first published work. So the statue itself, kind of or the installment, I guess, mm-hmm. has five bronze faces. There's one of Bly, and then there's others representing Asian American, Black young, older, and queer women. And the monument also features words written by the journalist behind each face. Oh, cool. The engravings on the statue tell the stories of the women, praise their acts of courage and strength. And also, I guess, in the middle of the structure, there are three silver globes, each one meant to honor a specific moment in Bly's career. So that's so cool. If you're ever in New York, shoot us a pic. Uh, shout out to our girl, Nellie Bly. Yeah. And, yeah. 
that's it. <laughs> what an amazing life. I'm so jealous of that. I would love to have led that life. Yeah. I I'm mean, all about lived experiences. I want to say, is Roosevelt Island a bird sanctuary island now? <laughs> actually, I think I read, well, I did read that the insane asylum actually is now like apartments. <laughs> so I don't know what else is going on in the island oh. or if I misread that, but I'm pretty sure that's what I read in my research. I feel like we just need to do an episode on the New York islands. Yeah. Because I'm like, there's so many of them. Who were we talking about? Typhoid Mary. Yes. Yeah. What was it? Was it was like North and South Brother Islands? I think they were. I think those are maybe bird sanctuaries now. But that's what New York. That's what New York has done with. I think a lot of those islands that used to serve a purpose for like leper colonies and whatever. That's completely made up, pulled out of my head. I cannot confirm <laughs> that New York ever had a, a leper colony island, but. I say that to say, I think that they repurpose them as bird sanctuary islands yeah. that you cannot actually access. But I don't know how big Roosevelt Island is off the top of my head, so I can't say. But that's cool that they still have that that installation there in commemoration of Nellie Bly's life. Yeah. So she is there. Uh, she is, you know, kind of in the spot where it all kind of began. So very cool. I'm glad that they were able to memorialize her in such a cool way because I think she's someone who was definitely... I mean, she YOLO'd for sure. Uh, you know, very progressive, ahead of her time. Trailblazer. Lived her life to the fullest, and she just seems like a cool chick. So Yeah, definitely on her. the bad B list. Yeah, definitely. Forever immortalized on our bad B list. Yes. Um, that's so cool. Well, yeah. thank you so much for putting all that together. I really appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoyed that story, too. That was awesome. Love a good bad B moment. Um, if you guys want to see Deanna's source notes, feel free to check out our website, historicalpodcast.com, or check us out on social media. Make sure to follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, all historical podcasts. Also, if you feel like being so kind as to supporting us financially, we are also on Patreon. I think we have like, what, three, five, and ten dollars? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, levels, and you get extra pod content and a couple other different bonuses depending on your level, but we do a bunch of cool content on there, and we have some really fun ones coming up as well that I'm excited about. If you just want to shoot us a note, send us a Gmail. Just <laughs> historicalpodcast at gmail.com. You there know you the go. drill. Just send us a little note and be like, hey, Trailblazer, Nellie Bly. And that's it. Anyway, thank you, Deanna, again. You're welcome. Great episode. I loved it so much. And I can't wait to research New York's network of islands now. <laughs> yes, I think that's definitely – we'll add it to the topic list. I'm going to go stare at my map really closely and intently after we finish this. <laughs> We're going to find this island. We're going to find them. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys. We love you. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure that you follow us too on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now, Spotify, Apple, whatever. Make sure to follow us, rate us, whatever. And we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. I wonder if there's like tours you can do to all these islands in New York. I'm sure you can. I haven't been in New York in a long time. Me neither. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Just let's for a long weekend. Done. Done. All right. Bye. Bye.